Hello and welcome back to the Age of Empires Definitive Podcast. I am your host, Robert, and I am joined today by the full crew, Chris and Jack. How are you guys doing? Hello. Yeah, good to be back, actually, and to meet Jack, finally. Nice to meet you as well, Chris. Yeah, I, I think that's another thing. Uh, I hadn't realized this, because even though we've been you know, talking in the Discord, you two I don't think have actually talked before, so that's that's an interesting concept, I guess. No, although I did uh, plug you in for quite a hefty run. I listened to your last podcast um, with uh, with a lot of enjoyment as I sort of negotiated Manchester traffic. So um, no, I, I didn't get run over and I learned something. So it was, uh, it was all good on my part. Behind the wheel. No motivational yep. hazard. Uh, for sure, for sure. Also, yeah, I'd like to mention uh, some of you may have caught our last podcast. I hadn't originally planned on making that an audio version, but I think it worked out because a lot of people enjoyed it just the audio version it seems so i'm pretty pretty happy with that um i i guess i want to start the podcast kind of mentioning a couple of things um one was that after we spoke about the lithuanians uh i then like looked up and there's i saw all these angry uh reddit posts about how they're overpowered and they should be nerfed they shouldn't be in the game so that was kind of funny um and also uh because of that kind of replay I feel like now all my games consist of fighting over relics and then uh, proceeding to win the game with knights. I think that's that's now become the standard of what uh, my AoE games looks like. So I don't know whether I need to thank you or, um, I guess, not thank you for, for making my game so uh, one-to-one. But I, I've enjoyed it because I think I've gotten a lot better because of it. I quite enjoy the jeopardy of playing against the Lithuanians, actually. It becomes this sort of uh, holy quest to destroy a a um a monastery and then that's kind of half the battle done if you can do that it's kind oh, of nice nothing more satisfying if you can do words lithuanians versus the lithuanians jack like then it's then it's just everybody's fighting for those you're it's it, there's a mini game within the game essentially happening uh, i don't know if, if you want to touch on that a little bit here at the beginning jack uh when it comes to kind of lithuanian playing either against the lithuanians or as the lithuanians maybe maybe uh lithuanians i've seen him so mbl picks them reasonably often and i've seen him go full skirm obviously you get your your faster trash units your units that don't cast gold make a big bunch of skirms walk around the map that's only that only really works against archer sieves you trade you know very cost effectively the extra food lets you do creative things so you can drush straight off the bat with them um i don't think that's too popular to do in general, it lets you click up earlier, so you can do what's called like 18 pop scouts. Um, so that's when you've got uh, 17 vills and then you scout and then you click up. So it's kind of one of the fastest scout rushes in the game. Um, yeah, they've got a lot going for them. Um, you've got to kind of, yeah, as you said, watch the relics, um, keep that in mind, and uh, don't let them get four of them. Once they get four, that's their maximum attack. It's quite a boom-friendly sieve as well, isn't it? Because if you can kind of uh, throw walls up, you can really protect that food nest egg in the middle. And uh, whether it's your kind of uh, cheapest chips, uh, skirms at the start, um, you know, they're, they're strong on the trash. Are they, am I right thinking they're faster? Faster trash? Yeah, there, yeah. so um, basically like your pikemen and your skirmishers move 10% quicker, which yeah. is actually a very big deal. Because it lets you, like if you've got skirms, that means you can chase down archers. Usually if archers start walking away from you, you can't catch back up to them but the 10 mm. extra speed is actually a very big very big um attribute 
you, know, you, you can arrive and get business done before they've had the opportunity to react. So it's it's nice. Um, but yeah, the fact that you know it's you go from quite cheap um, food and wood straight into your kind of nights and whatnot. So you just continue the uh, the theme of the food and uh, sort of it's quite a nice flow, isn't it, between those those units? Nice, nice. Yeah. Uh, and actually, kind of continuing. There's another thing. Wow, I love you know in true podcast fashion. Uh, you think of the best ideas or the things that are actually bugging you about the game as the podcast starts, not before it. So I just like to mention this as well, because I'm, I'm kind of curious about this. I feel like a lot of my games end up getting to that castle Imperial age. And then there's like these trebuchet battles and they're just the most annoying thing. Like it's kind of like, Oh, you have more trebs than me already. You've won the game like that. That's a feeling that I'm starting to get. Um, and I wonder if Jack has any kind of ideas as what to do when you get in those situations. But I feel if I'm significantly behind on getting to that last Imperial Age, then the tribes start wrecking me. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that, that's what it is. Um, in terms of counters, um, generally speaking, it's you want to get up to Imp first. And so the, the kind of... <laughs> is be better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a trigger for it. And it's as soon as your opponent starts putting down castles. So maybe if he's only got one, but if he's got a couple of castles... In your head, you need to start thinking, I need to get up to imp. Um, so what that means, potentially you're idle. So you stop production from your TCs. You make sure you get up first. You get your trebuchets out. Now, there are counters to trebuchets, and they're called bombard cannons. Um, the difficulty is it takes a very long time to get to bombard cannon. And the reason is because you have to research chemistry, and that tech takes forever. Um, so your opponent can be trebbing you really, really hard before you even get a chance to get to bombard cannons. So it really is... If, if there are castles out on the map and everyone's kind of walled up, it's a race to get to Imp and then the Treb War begins. Uh, make sure you repair those Trebs. Every Treb counts. Um, so use your Vils to repair the Trebs. Target the other Trebs. Um, and that's often how you know games can play out, especially if you're playing with archer sieves that kind of, if the enemy has castles, oh, man. you can't that move your that. army in. Yeah. So it just becomes a Treb War. Yeah, I, I found that out the hard way the other week. I've been messing around with the Koreans. It's, it's probably a bit old news now, but obviously they got a bit of a facelift the other month and uh, been trying to get get cosy with them. But I just found them quite blunt. And I yeah, I was ending up in situations where I was not you know not laying a finger on on enemy siege as it was coming in, even though I had quite quite well upgraded um, archers there. Um, and I guess there is a the double jeopardy of if those trebs are underneath castles as well. Um, if it's kind of a castle to castle affair. Um, they're obviously a lot weaker if they're out in the open field, but um, yeah, I, I tend to try and throw pace at it. So if you've got six or seven fast units that you don't mind getting gunned down by uh, by the castle, then I'll tend to just throw those at it. Um, yeah, use your hussars to do that. And I say with with Koreans, you get really um, good onager, siege onager, but they are not going to help you under a castle. So it needs yeah. to be bombard cannons, your own trebs, or you can kind of get under there with hussars. And that's the only way you'll be able to snipe those. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is maybe one thing that has has me kind of wondering about the, what this game favors, right? And I think ultimately, if you are the type of person that wants to get really mechanical and learn how to, you know, uh, produce the most things in the fastest amount of time in the most efficient way, right? It it it's starting to remind me more of StarCraft One than StarCraft Two, is what I'm trying to say where essentially it's like the better player wins, right? That's why I feel like we had more consistent players on top because the people who can just do more things, you know, like sieves aside, uh, will tend to win those games. I think another thing that I guess intrigues me is 
the Civ endgames, because we're talking about Bombard Cannons and we're talking about Trebuchets, where every Civ has that endgame, right? Like, it's not like you have this one Civ where it's like, you're, you're doing a completely different thing at the end of the game there. Um, but... I mean, some Civs just die if you get all the way to the end. I'm, oh, think, I'm thinking about Turks. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess, I guess there's some Civs where you really can't do that. Um, and I guess other Civs, kind of when it comes to, like, gold use, that becomes really important very late in the game as well. Uh, yeah. Civs that either don't have to pay gold or acquire gold faster those, those are some big key things um but ultimately that idea of kind of like tearing down castles and and just getting to a position where you can attack uh, I think and, you, sorry mm-hmm. uh, attack the main buildings is a big thing and also in this uh, game i realize what happens is later in the game you just have so much wood that you can like just make a million production buildings and it's just about kind of slamming you know what i mean waves after waves and it's it's kind of I feel like there's definitely times where it's frustrating where it's like, okay, there's no, the creativeness is, is kind of gone when you get to that late game. Maybe not the creativeness. It's, an, it's the... an aspect of the game I actually really like is the mm-hmm. the idea of trash. So I like the idea that there's this resource called gold and at some point in 1v1, there will be no more. And you can't get any more, you can't trade. And it, for me, it adds a really good aspect to the game, what you call like kind of post-imperial warfare. Uh, a final a final stage and i hope yeah. when they make age of empires 4 <laughs> that they replicate that that there's this resource that will eventually run out and then you've got like a new game to play it's like it's, any it's... good fight in a film where kind of at the end it's it's not about the fancy weapons that they arrived with it's it's when the gloves are off and they're rolling around in the dirt and parkouring between buildings that's that's where you <laughs> see who's yeah, actually to the death yeah attrition warfare yeah yeah yeah, but um, I mean, I think you see that reflected um, for better or for worse in the new civs that look that are coming out in the uh, in the update. Um, they seem to be geared towards having a bit more, uh, you know, more of a dimension in that latter stage. Um, you know, a few things you can do with gold or to get to get around a few of those problems. Because I, I agree that it really tests flexibility and it's very interesting from a spectator point of view. But I mean, I also agree that I guess. Um, things like wood if you've got ten thousand and you're not using any of it then you know there is a real disparity things can kind of become quite two-dimensional in, in what you're trying to churn out yeah mm-hmm. are you talking about the um the tech that turns all your vills into soldiers there is that one yeah yeah, yeah um, militia, the Burgundian one. Yeah. yes that, there's that one i think there's another one as well uh was it the sicilians um Oh, I forget exactly what it was. I'm gonna. Shall I try and look it up in the background? Shall I play researcher for a few minutes and uh, you guys can chat when I find what it is? For, for sure, for sure. I kind of wanted to say actually is like, this is a weird game where I feel getting rid of all your vills is usually a sign that you've either lost or are severely losing. You know what I mean? Like unless you're like, this is it. This is the push that's going to win it all for me. <laughs> I mean, yes, and I. There's two different ways to look at it. I mean, so this tech used to exist in Age of Mythology and it's called Ragnarok. You can use it to be the wave that kind of just, if you're dead even, you could use that just to get you enough momentum to top. Now, don't get me wrong. You have to reboom behind it, right? So as those those mm. unit those units die, you need to make sure you produce a vill for every one that you've just converted. But it could create the wave that just allows you to carry it. And Age of Empires is a game of momentum. And just give you the wave just to carry it over to get the victory. Um, it, yeah. it could also be a desperation move. It could be a desperation, get to him, use that tech and do the all-in just because you're losing the game. It could work both ways. 
I've, I've got the uh, the bit of research here, fellas, as well. So the Burgundians, um, you are right. It's a Flemish revolution, at which point uh, all existing villages turn to Flemish militia, which are a sort of pikeman derivative, I think, um, which is obviously geared towards the late final push, as you say. Uh, there's also Burgundian vineyards, which converts all food into gold at a two to one ratio, which when I heard that, it did strike me as something that would suit the latter stages of the game. If you wanted Ooh, to... Kind yeah. of, Stick your head above the parapet in that trash war, and you know, you know, twenty paladins charging over the horizon when it's all skirmishers is, well, I guess there's halberdiers around, but so that's a side note. But um, yeah, it could really make a difference getting that extra gold, whether it's sort of siege or what you spend it on. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, so I mean, that looks like that Burgundian vineyard is a Castle Age tech, but I don't think you'd use it in Castle Age. Mm. Um, I mean, you could do something like an archer all in using that, but I think you would save it. And I think you would potentially research both techs at the same time or a similar, um, because you can convert all your all your villagers into these pikemen type units, the Flemish militia, push forward, research that other tech, and then all you're going to do is make military units. Convert yeah. all your food into gold and then just make military units and then try and get the win. You need a bit of a stockpile to do it, um, yeah. but it'll make a very interesting, say, post-imp uh, maneuver. I mean, Castle Age, you're either, you, I mean, food is the scarce resource in the Castle Age because you're trying to either churn out knights or similar if, you, if you're going yep, for correct. food military. But if, you, if you're not, then your eco should be geared towards kind of wood and gold if, you, if you're going kind of archers and siege and those things. So I think, yeah, you, you're, right, you're right. It's going to be rare that you have a, um, a surplus of food at that point. Um, so just moving on to the Sicilians quickly. Uh, they have a uh, scuttage, which is... Um, each team member receives uh, 15 gold per military unit that they own. So again, that's going to favour a late game situation where populations are high, maybe when gold is low. Yeah. Um, and there's this other one about uh, town, uh, town centre spawning sergeants. I, I'm not sure that really applies in the same way. Yeah, certainly looking forward to trying those out in the Imperial Age. Yeah. I'd also like to mention, so the uh, expansion is coming out the 26th, which is um, about 10 days probably from when you're listening to this. Uh, and uh, I think it's going to be really intriguing as well to see on the, the ranked matchmaking system if there's going to be people uh, who all try out the new sieves, because I know there's a lot of people, especially those who've played the game for a long time, who are definitely going to be trying them out. But I'm kind of at a point right now where I'm still trying to get comfortable playing one sieve. <laughs> like I'm not even... Mm-hmm. I feel like I haven't even begun to master one sieve, so it's it's kind of part of me feels like I might wait for everybody to try those and play against them a whole bunch, and then when the hype dies down, I might I might try those newer sieves. Um, but that's particularly how I'm looking at it. Um, Chris and Jack, how 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 are you kind of looking? Well, I was going to actually turn it around, you Rob, and ask you: Are you uh, the kind of person who likes to play the the same sieve until you've mastered it, or are you more do you tick that random box and just kind of figure it out as you go? I think, uh, so the reality is that the game has drawn me in. I know you said it would. It has. I'm, 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 I'm playing more than I thought I would. Let me put it that way. Uh, and because I'm doing that, and because I'll only play so much during the week, I'm someone who wants to pretty much only play one save until, like, until it's a point where I am not second-guessing any part of the game. It's not that I make like bad decisions or good decisions or play better or worse. It's where I know this these the sieve's strength and weaknesses. I know a general ga- gameplay for the sieve, 
and and I know it kind of by heart, even if I don't play for a week, I still remember it when I come back. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. Mm. I think I'm I'm a little bit too much of a romantic when it comes to choosing my sieves. So I'm beyond the stage of having just one sieve that I go to every time, which to be fair could be quite useful if if you really mastered it and you could probably get some some points on the board quite well on that that ladder. Um, but I, I very much kind of come into a game with a a vision in my mind of what I want to, to happen. And it's not always the same thing. Sometimes it'd be like, I'd love to just have a, a death ball of archers. Other times it'll be, you know, fantasizing about throwing two or three different uh, infantry armies at, at opposite sides of the enemy base, all sorts of maneuvers and stuff. But so I, I end up going wherever the wind takes me. Um, I don't quite have the, the dead eye where you kind of, you see um, a certain unit or civilization for what it is uh, in terms of exactly how it matches up against others um still a little bit romantically driven i'm not i'm not making decisions because things are ultimately going to end up being more efficient in the long term but yeah i, I did have a bit of a, um, an archer moment but i probably will touch on later but i've i've kind of i'm currently in a bit of a um loving with the infantry and i'm trying to bring back a bit of momentum for those into my own game as well i, I guess that that'll be yeah we'll, we'll table that for a little bit um but yeah that they'll definitely be interesting trying to you know, I guess we might later in this show we'll talk about uh, the potential of infantry and and you know possible balance things. It's, it's another interesting thing about this game, I guess, is the general, um, the general idea of what is it like? Essentially, sorry, my my monitors just switched off. Really threw me off. I'm gonna keep going. Uh, so um, the idea that there are all these units that sometimes is just like you just throw them against the wall because that's the resource you have. Um, but they're not actually you know, units that are useful in a lot of situations. They can just maybe get a little bit of that momentum in. I, it's definitely a weird thing because it's not kind of like, oh, this counters this. It's like there's a million things that could, you could possibly do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess as well, later in the game, this is another thing I've noticed. Uh, and this will be my last little tactical talk before before we get to the actual points that we've uh, prepared beforehand, um, <laughs> is the is the idea that if you kind of focus, especially when it comes to upgrades and stuff like that, if you kind of focus on on like a cav sieve uh, or the archery sieve, you've kind of done the upgrades for one. So there's, it's kind of hard to do like a full switch at some point in the game. Um, and I don't know if there's many sieves that can even do that. Yeah, tech switching is very tricky. It's very hard to know when to do it. Sometimes you have to do it. Um, the hardest switch probably in the game is what's known as like switching into champions um, mm-hmm. because you need everything. Right. You, if you get supplies, you need supplies. Um, if you get squires, you need squires. And then you need all of the upgrades. Um, men at arms, long sword, two-handed swordsman, champion. Right, you finally got the unit you wanted Battering to make. Ram. Uh, and so you need to do that switch sometimes. So if you're against eagles, you need to switch into champions. Um, if you're against lots of trash, so you're against pike, skirm, you need to switch into champions. But it's one of the hardest switches into the in the game. And you're absolutely right. You part of this game is you don't want to research everything you want to get the research you need for your units and you want to make a lot of that unit um yeah, it needs to be potent at the, it's at the time as well isn't it you know in the in the whether it's early feudal or late feudal early castle or whatever it needs to be out competing whatever else could possibly be on the map it's almost like poker you, you don't want to be you know really backing yourself and spending resource on on something that is, is just going to get cut down yeah it's not an rpg don't collect everything yeah. <laughs> As, as you can probably tell from the uh, last episode that we released, I think a week or two ago. Um, okay, uh, I guess my one last point that I'd like to mention here is as per 
Jack's suggestion, I think I'll be playing through the campaigns. So uh, maybe I'll upload those to YouTube or something. I don't know how many people are interested, but uh, I'll just throw that out here since we were talking about the expansions earlier. Um, speaking kind of of some of the newer things happening within the game, there. Uh, so I'll, I'll quote this and you'll have to explain it further, Jack. But uh, so for the Red Bull Wololo 3 um, tournament, you're saying that amateurs have qualified. What do you mean by this when you when you put amateurs in quotations here? So that's slightly. I took this from what Viper said on his stream. He was laughing about you know doubt needing to be uh, an amateur, so to speak. So the way that it was set up is it would it be it would be the um, eight pros against the eight amateurs, and the so the eight pros were pre-selected based on kind of uh, I assume based on their elo, based on their previous tournament performance in this Red Bull Wallaloo tournament. And then the eight amateurs would need to qualify. Um, now, obviously, the eight that have qualified are also pros. They're on a very, very <laughs> the same level. You know, the people that have qualified are all in the top, you know, 20. Um, so it's slightly, slightly uh, in jest, that comment. Um, but it's very interesting to see that that tournament, the main, the kind of the first stage of the, the main event starts tomorrow. Um, so you get to see kind of Mr. Yo in action. Tato. Very interesting one to watch out will be the Viper versus MBL. That's been going to be played out tomorrow. That'll be a very, very competitive match, um, I assume. Um, but as you know, last weekend, the weekend before, I was kind of watching the qualifiers. Um, with the most interest was with Nilly, who's obviously just a caster, um, but it was doing very, very well. Just a caster. Yeah. Just a caster. But the insane thing about this game is that two of the casters are actually in the top 100, which is P90 and Nilly. Um, so that they are in their own right very good players yeah i quite um, enjoyed the back and forth between viper and t90 couldn't quite work it out the other day when they were co-casting whether it was uh, there's a bit of needle in the background or or not or whether it was all in jest but uh, all in jest oh, yes. absolutely all in jest and i think i think t90 would be the first to admit that he wouldn't hold a he wouldn't hold a candle to viper it's all you know just just banter yes yeah you'd have thought so I, actually i kind of wanted to mention that because it's i think it's I've seen uh, Viper play so many games, right, uh, in different tournaments, especially because he's the most wing- winningest, uh, if that is a word, um, AOE AOE two player. Um, but it was kind of interesting to see him commentating or, or yeah, casting some of these games, right? Because I I like I have like a select few AOE channels that I follow. That's kind of how I keep up. So now I've added Viper so uh, to that. Um, and I, I think another big thing about Viper is that he's so good at the game. I find he he has the luxury of actually being entertaining. I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, but mean, really as hard. he's playing, that he has the free capacity to read <laughs> Twitch chat, change his settings all, my, all the while, you know, kind of laming a bore and, you know, doing everything at once. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Football team banter and all sorts in the middle of microing and, you know, doing all sorts at home as well. It's crazy. He he can uh, he can stream AOE the way people stream Hearthstone. You know? yeah. uh, he has enough time to do so, um, so I just wanted to make mention of that. Um, do you do you find that any of the um, will it be a surprise if any of those people who are deemed amateurs, you know, do very well, like beat beat the the, the quote unquote pro players in this tournament? Are oh, they really all? Particularly someone yeah. like Lix, who's is incredibly tricky. He. Uh, he he, basically the the maps against you. You can easily get paranoid against a man like that because he's he's sort of always sneaking villages and arches around, isn't he? Unfortunately, my man Licks went out to a nilly 
Oh, did he? People. Yeah, that, so that was that was the that was why I was kind of bigging up Nilly uh, for his win against Licks. Obviously, won the you know, won part of the two v two World Cup. He's a very very strong player in his own right. So Nilly yeah. did very very well against him. Um, exciting to see. Uh, Licks did beat um, one of our our best top GB player though, Hallis. Yes, worth, worth yeah. mentioning him. Um, who's part of the kind of the GB team, GB Discord. Um, so, yeah, very, very impressive result, I say, for Nilly there. Obviously, kind of went out to Vivi, um, mm-hmm. which is good because he'll make it to the tournament anyway in the role of a caster. <laughs> I wonder, I, I, I mean, maybe not so appropriate in these times, but when there is in-person tournaments, uh, I wonder if there's any of these... Um, Slightly below top level players that might get invited to some of these tournaments just so they can lose quickly and cast. I I don't want to say anything, but I feel like that happens sometimes. <laughs> is this is this what happens in StarCraft? Oh well, back in the day, I mean, it's not as popular now. Have you ever heard of the Home Story Cup? No, I'm not familiar. No. So the whole the whole purpose of it was instead of it being a super serious tournament, it was like they were like there there was the, the instead of instead of fans in the audience, there's just like a bar people were at. You know, it's like on the other side of the bar, people are drinking, people are having fun time. People in between games, when they're not playing, they were they were casting, right? Um, so one of the jokes was that they would invite these like actual casters that get paid a lot to play in the tournament. Like they'd fly them over, but they'd, they'd play in the tournament. And then they'd uh, sit on the, you know, because they left really early, they could sit on the couch and cast a bunch. So that, that was kind of the joke. Um, not not so much these days, but but so be it. Uh, in all walks of life or sport or whatever, there's always going to be quite an enjoyable back and forth between the uh, people who get paid to talk about it as if they know what they're talking about and the people that are actually doing it. There's always a bit of fun to be had there, I think. That's true. That's true. I'll also say that um, in general, when it comes to these games, like there is an older audience. And I think, I think the cool thing, I guess, in some ways is that the... The players themselves, especially those who are willing to talk and have the ability to do so, can get a little more recognition. Um, I find in games where there are a lot younger pro players, um, one of two things happens. One is the casters become those more widely recognized uh, just because of the fact they're the, they're the face you see every week, right? Um, another one is those younger players, like sometimes even the broadcasters themselves don't want them to talk. <laughs> Uh, for fear of what they may say, or just uh, some of them are just not very uh, comfortable in front of the camera, shall we say? So that's always that's another kind of thing that I think AOE and uh, the RTS scenes don't really have to worry about at this point. I think Age of Empires has the best community of any game I've played. You know, I've played some Rocket League lately. I, I have played Dota in the past. It's very toxic. This game is like the best mannered. Um, everyone says, you know, at the start of the it's game, good battle. luck, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> good game at the end of it um and I, I put that down to the more mature player base yeah. well it sort of has to be really it's a bit of a an ancient game life support what? really but uh, it's, it's thriving I'm, I'm amazed it's it seems to be mm-hmm. coming on stronger than it ever has i think definitive edition has been amazing for for aoe2 i think like i think even the hd wasn't quite the same push i don't know that i feel like this one and this is just maybe because i'm getting into the community right now but i feel like there's really a sense especially with an expansion coming out there's really a sense that this game will be supported for for um at least the the near future so i think that that is definitely a something that is a good sign and it feels that it's got um it's really got microsoft's 
kind of attention rather than it just being another spin-off. There really seems to be a dedicated team of people looking to balance the game, change it. There's variety in the tournaments and it seems to be being monetized, not in a kind of corporate way, but in a way in which people are getting rewarded and it's kind of worth worth doing and, and it's it's got to help the community, really. Uh, 100%, 100%. Now, this touches um, one I... of the points I was making about that I believe <laughs> the community is growing. Um, I was just going to mention that Hare and Leary have now hit the new, this week. Um, both of them independently have both hit uh, the kind of the, the biggest high rating that anyone's achieved in DE, not in Voobly. Um, of 25, 17, they've both done it. Um, obviously, very, very impressive. For me, it probably means that more people are coming into the game. So in total, there's more points, ELO points available. Um, and that's what's kind of spurring, spurring this push on um, up higher and higher. Yeah, is there is there any part of you? I mean, we've seen it with a lot of sports that have, uh, and other games and things that have become popular. Do you feel, in any way, um, obviously there's a bit of money floating around, and there's the the term professional being loosely thrown around as well. With you know, there's obviously enough winnings to be had. Um, do you feel that it's going to make the top three, four, five players better? There's going to be divergence in that maybe top twenty, or do you feel that by virtue of there being more more money, more people looking at it, more people coming through with talent, a bit more of a fusion of different ideas and skill sets. Is it going to really just push on that kind of top group of quote-unquote amateurs, which is it's almost a laughable term, but just for the for the sake of this tournament, I guess, if I had to use it. Uh, yeah, that, that's a great question, Chris. I think, honestly, I think, funnily enough, the six, the, well, the professionals of this game have more distractions than ever, would be my view. <laughs> And part of the reason for that is the money that they make. So that right now there are people who live off Age of Empires 2. Um, yeah. But they don't do it off of prize money. Um, they do it off of their streaming. They, they are content creators. The Viper calls himself a content creator. And to be honest with you, I would say that can potentially be more of a distraction. And it will. And you'll see when it's coming, coming up to a tournament, he needs to prepare. He'll go very, very quiet on his YouTube channel, on his yeah. Twitch channel. Um, I think Hera has also now switched to full-time playing Age of Empires, but really full-time streaming content creation for his YouTube channel. Uh, Hera um, had a 5K viewers the one time I checked. It was something ridiculous. Like it was something I looked at it. And I'm like, well, this is this is a this is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's, he's the sort of face of youth for me. I I, I see Doubt as kind of the overlord, and uh, Hera is a bit of a. Bit of an upstart, isn't he? And uh, I think Leary is seen as the kid of the group as well. Leary is insanely good for how little he actually plays. He only tends to turn up when there's a tournament coming. So he was streaming this week. Obviously, he started playing again, got up to 25, 17. Um, obviously, in, in preparation for this Red Bull Wallaloo tournament that's coming up, he's you know back in action. Well, I think that's another thing. As long as there's tournaments, like these players are going to get better, right? I think um, when there is a significant period of time like we don't need more i mean more tournaments is good don't get me wrong but if we had one like big tournament to look forward to every month or at least the players are playing in maybe these longer tournaments that are happening regularly i think the overall level will go up uh as opposed to like if this is a game where i think if there's no tournament for you know half a year that could really affect the amount of pros kind of grinding and, and getting better and also the the kind of uh um Hardcore viewership that I think is now yeah. really starting to follow it's the game. The, it's the watching and the momentum, I think, that's important as well. And but by the way, just throwing another bit of credit out there, the uh, I felt that the the World Cup was just, especially with COVID and everything, that was just the perfect advent calendar because it was just the sort of 
December of, of kind of live entertainment going on. It's just inspiration. You could watch half an hour that could fully inspire and fuel 10 hours of your own gameplay kind of thing. It was, it was great <laughs> to watch. Um, no, I, I definitely feel, I don't know about you, but whenever I watch pro play, it definitely uh, fuels my, my want of playing the game. Uh, not to their level, obviously, but, but the inspiration's there. Um, I'd also like to mention, uh, kind of talking about the rating. I, I, this is another thing I was thinking about because, you know, there, there might be some people who want to try the game out, right? It's a newer game. I think the MMR system should start significantly lower than it currently does. Um, just because at least from the experience I had, because I don't want new players going in and they have to lose 30 games before they get to the rank that they're actually supposed to be right yeah it's a known thing and it's something that they say on on the reddit you know if someone joins um they you know how do i get started playing multiplayer or they've been playing lobbies which are unranked lobbies and they've been getting crushed and the advice is you need to start playing ranked you need to lose your your first 20 games and then you'll start getting matches at your level yeah can you start people not at 1k and start them lower could you start them at 100 and, I think but the problem a... is the whole system just scales then, right? So then me being 1,700, I'm now 170. It doesn't actually change anything if you lower the point because they just start players off at the average. Okay, well, I guess the, the, the my bigger difference then is the first maybe five games, we can consider them quote-unquote placement games, right? Sure, and you could be in a special group of people who also only have... Yeah, have up to say fifty games. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, like an academy, like a graduation thing. So maybe the maybe <laughs> the uh, the top, you know, in you you maybe in the first twenty games, if you win sort of maybe fifty, sixty, seventy percent of them, you get thrown in a bit higher up the ladder. See how you get on. But um, I mean, I'd throw out the question. It, it sounds fair to put people at an average level, but is somebody playing their first multiplayer game, which is very different from single player or campaigns? could they ever really be classed as an average online player? No. I think probably not. Could they, be. It depends. Yeah, it depends how much they've been playing off. Like, So my first games, <laughs> I did a lot of playing. I kind of went straight up um, as soon as I started playing. But I'd already got to a point where I'd play against the AI a lot. And I've been watching mm-hmm. YouTube. And I've been, you know, perhaps playing some unranked games. So when I came in, um, perhaps not like most people, but uh, I went up kind of i felt the first games were actually pretty easy Uh, so everyone comes from a different kind of background different experience level um if you start putting people in lower then you i i I like the idea of a different starting pool so you do a starting pool you do your placement games then you come into the real system i think that's that's the way to do it yeah yeah so that so that way there because yeah you don't want to put maybe a player that either has a new account or is is maybe they've played because you have these people that, that play like the most brutal version of the campaign and like, yes, in multiplayer, technically they're not very good, but they still find ways to like with the dumbest strategies to still win games. You know what I mean? Those people might somehow survive. I don't know. I think, I guess it really depends on the person, but I think there's definitely like, if, especially if someone hasn't played RTS before, like I feel it's kind of weird to say this, right? But I, I didn't feel all too out of place when I when I started play, placing them. I think especially after you've done that replay review, and because I've been playing literally that one sieve, um, I ha- now have a better sense of what I'm going for. And I find that... So I, I've ranked down to like 800, right? Yeah. And now I find that 
my 10 like this is something to think about as well right my decade of rts experience does take over at a certain point in the game you know what i mean once i understand the kind of mechanics and and what i'm looking to do my ability to actually manage that is significant like it's not even to someone who's new it just wouldn't be fair right and i'm I'm probably playing against some of these players who are like clicking and like reading the instruction of like how to build a house for the first time and i yeah but that's like maybe maybe that just uh i think it's just like the physics of the game that that transfers so well across most rts's doesn't it like you understand what's going to work for you you know a bit of bit of stealth bit of this bit of that um, definitive edition like the the shift mechanics and the control groups um i'm sure there's sorry it's, it's not like some of these were in the original aoe but like for instance shift clicking like that's something that i know like, like it's directly transferable right uh and idle idle villager buttons stuff that's been added in modern rts games so yeah i guess <laughs> the other one that it really transfers well for me was from kind of what's called mobas um so i used to play one called dota so as soon as i started playing this game i had really good archer micro um so just the idea of what's called kiting in those games you're a lot of kiting so you've got a, in that in most most of those games you have a single unit like a ranged unit and what you do is you hit the enemy unit you step backwards and then you hit it again and then you step backwards and that's exactly the same as microing a bunch of crossbows mm-hmm. you have 13 instead of one but the mechanics are exactly the same that kind of hit and run immediately yeah transfers for me immediately transferred from dota so anyone coming from lol that kind of thing will immediately feel very comfortable with archers i would say well in a way there's nothing new under the sun is there it's almost it's like any boss of any game from any era it's like you know you get to the end of the level and it's just being kind of incredibly you know micro intensive but it's it's kind of hit and run do what you can do and then get out of there and and just repeat it rinse and repeat um i guess the only the only thing to say though at least at least the good thing about MOBAs when it comes to transferring to RTS is the fact that it is mouse clicking specifically from a top-down point of view, right? Um, as opposed to one thing that that I guess would worry about transferring the skills, it might be a little harder when, like, if you use a controller all your all your life, or you're using WASD, right? Um, oh yeah, like a or a first-person shooter game is not going to transfer to to Age of Empires <laughs> at yeah. all. Like, in theory, like this is the theory, right? The theory is like, oh, they should be so accurate with their clicking, but I'm like, oh, you're not wrong. Actually, that that might that that might be a factor. You know, I didn't but think about that, but the accuracy of the clicking could be could be big. One, and this is the first one, is they would have to find a way to directly trans. This is really hard to do, but there are websites that can do this. So you'd have to transfer the exact sensitivity into your new game that you're using. Okay. The second thing is that. Still, that's only five percent of the total of the game. Like, if you don't know what does what, it's not going to transfer as much. I feel. But my point is, there's stuff you can take away, but at some point you have to actually learn the game itself, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. At some point you have to practice the. Yeah, there's no there's no substitute for decision making. I'll agree with that. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and learning and and actually, you know, I listen. If I want to get good of Age of Empires, I'm not going to go play uh, League of Legends or Dota for, for the next 50 hours, right? Like, that's the, that's the reality. At some point, some skills are transferable, other skills you'll have to learn. Uh, One question I've got for, for both of you, I guess, coming from, from different RTSs. I, I have been um, in terms of RTSs, pretty much Age of Empires from the from year dot, but um, so it goes from, okay, mid-game, when you're building up your army, you're rightly trying to protect it, maintain numbers, take those things forward and get, get the researchers and etc. 
Um, so you hit, hit this sort of period of the game where there's a lot of dancing around. There's very there's a lot of micro, um, particularly in say two v two where you've got that fine balance between archers and and cavalry units. But then towards the end of the game when you you do kind of got you've got lots of different areas of your own base, so you you might not be responding as quickly to to kind of different uh, raids. They might have multiple armies, multiple things going on at the same time. They are two different, very distinct, different uh, modus operandi for having to manage your armies and kind of focuses. Um, do you think that's kind of used enough and are there people that are better at that than others? Like when it comes to managing the armies later in the game? I guess. So like the middle, there's, you know, you see people who've got insane micro um, and they, they can kind of do their thing. And there's certain units which are, they, they favor microing. So archers, for instance, you focus fire, you can basically rip anything down with the right number of archers. But then, so so units that would usually not stand a chance, and, and here we go, alarm bells ringing, I'm talking about uh, infantry again, and their usual pitfalls against those kind of units. Um, maybe later in the game when there's less attention, um, you know, if you were just to kind of hunt, like toss a load of load of infantry forward, that, that maybe where people haven't got the actions per minute to get across the whole of the map where everything's going on maybe if they're just appearing in someone's yeah. eco rather than yeah. having to dodge all that fire and getting all that attention in the middle of the map um i kind of see that that is the point at which they're most useful yeah yeah i i i will say right away one thing and this is i think is really key when it comes to rts games is you have to make a distinction between actions per minute apm and attention mm. um i think sometimes the, the distinction isn't made because I, I just I, I just thought I'd bring this up since you, you did that. Maybe I mean, like APM could be useless, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, it there, doesn't. There, I mean, if if it's the Viper's APM, it's it's pretty productive. Um, but you could also just be spam clicking your town center and doing nothing. Is that exactly? But yeah. but also, I think beyond that, I yes, you can get faster, right? Technically, like let's just say you have all your productions moving or all, all villagers constantly working. You're looking around the map, blah blah blah. Right? There's a million things you can do. Um, I think one thing that's sometimes undervalued is the fact that there is an attention span limit per se, right? If you look at the map, like 20 different points in the map within a span of 10 seconds, um, maybe the highest or best players that they can, they can get a lot of information from that. Um, but you might get to a point where you're actually diverting your attention so much and you're not even focused on whatever the thing is you're trying to do, right? I think that's what makes a top player a top player is they know where exactly. to prioritize. Absolutely. They know what to be looking at at that moment and what requires their attention and their focus. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, uh, at lower levels, you'll see people doing a lot of micro, doing a lot of things very detailed, <laughs> in not, but not for them the same reward, right? Yes. I'm yeah. sorry if you can if you can perfectly micro your skirmishers and win one skirmisher battle in the beginning of a game when you are like ELO 600. Um, I mean, unless the other the other other person quits, but I think in most cases, if that person just kept building villagers the whole time you were trying to out micro and you didn't build any villagers, that person is ahead right now. So, absolutely. So the person microing, say say they're microing the skirms perfectly. If the opponent just builds a stable and makes some scouts, and then they just send the scouts there and don't micro them at all, they'll clean up the skirmishes. So it, yeah. it comes down to like decision making. Like being quick is not a substitute for good solid decision making it's that kind of forbidden fruit isn't it you see you see kind of maybe eight skirms chasing four archers into the corner of the map and you kind of think actually who, who's winning this little engagement here like if, if someone's main army's focused in a corner when actually they've got you know pretty pathetic units like causing havoc in their own base that they've not noticed 
That's what yeah, patrol. Sure. That's what patrol clicks for. You just patrol them at the, uh, patrol them at the uh, arches, and then forget about them, and they'll just kind of chase after them. Yeah, so point being, Chris, if you are worried about that, especially if you're, you know, your elo is still kind of average or, or below average or, or kind of sitting around there, I think you probably have lots of opportunities. The later it is in the game, to literally just send waves and random points, and they probably won't respond. Okay, I, yeah, I'm gonna be honest. I, I had a 900 elo game. Yes, not the greatest thing in the world, but a 900 elo game where I managed to uh, walk up with a a priest and steal a relic from behind the person's, like literally right beside their main town center. So <laughs> I think as the game goes on, a Mission uh, Impossible, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a lot of priests in and steals the relic. Exactly. Wait, wait, you're playing Lithuanians as well, weren't you? Oh yeah, no, I was. I had four. <laughs> oh oh man, you need to make a film out of this. This is brilliant. <laughs> Hey, hold on. I I know I know this 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 is this is another thing that I've noticed. But if you're in these like around a thousand Elo games, if you get to Castle Age, <laughs> sometimes you can just take twenty villagers, build a castle near their ba- like close enough to where you can attack their production and their death center, and then you just win. Like that just happens. I just like to tell everybody that right away. Uh, <laughs> oh, castle drops are the bane. I see it a lot on, say, when I'm on the T90 Discord, people come and ask for help. You know, how do I deal with these castle drops? They seem very, very prevalent. Um, yeah. If a, the an effective, a simple and effective tactic, we'll call the castle drop. I think one thing to say about the community is it feels though there's there's quite a lot. I know I know the word amateur has been misused and banded around uh, wrongly all over the place, uh, as we've touched on, but uh, there's a lot of kind of people learning their craft, shall we say, um, yes. who are fairly amateur in their approach. But because there's such good exposure to such top play, I wouldn't be surprised if there's, you know, there's people out there that know how to, you know, quick wall and they're, they're sticking markets on the inside of walls that are about to go down and all sorts of, all these lovely flary pro things that they see. Um, but they, I'm sure there's fundamentals underneath that that are completely missing. I'm sure because it's kind of monkey see, monkey do, there's there's a lot of people, especially around that you know 1,000 to 1,500 level, where where they're kind of they're getting a little bit ahead of themselves. Um, oh yeah, I mean I saw that on the Hera stream. Um, Hera's doing like a series, which is kind of uh, I think it's 1K to 2K, and yeah. um, he was showing kind of 1,100 ga- game. Um, this is what a real 1,100 gameplay looks like. He was showing it, and the, and the guy with he was playing Saracens um, used his TC to kill the boar. Which is quite a high level tactic. So normally you use the vills to kill. Yeah. So you lure the ball, yeah. use the vills to kill the ball. But to, to do it even quicker, what you do is you garrison vills. So you mm-hmm. garrison vills, you shoot the ball twice. Now, if you hit it a third time, the ball dies and you can't collect any food from it. That's and even the pros keep messing this up as well, don't they? It's, yeah. It seems to be a very hard thing to do. But that was 1100, an 1100 player doing that. So you are, you, you, even at the low levels, you do see some flashy tactics going on. Yeah. Um, and crazy fundamentally, as well. I think you probably could make someone resign if you just quick walled them in, in the feudal age. They would be like, "Oh, I'm not I'm not in for this. This is going to be a painful hour." Yeah, I, you that, see that at all levels. Yeah, is that the tactic where you wall around the opponent? Uh, laming resources is a thing. It's pretty, as as the term goes, lame. It's you see it with civs, maybe <laughs> like Mayans who get loom straight at the straight away, or Goths who can research loom instantly now. What they do is they send a vill forward, they send the scout forward. The scout will try to lame things, so it'll try to steal sheep, it'll try and steal the boar. And then you can use the vill to try and wall in their resources. So you can start building palisades around the berries, around the gold, around the stone. 
Okay, so yes, that is the high level tactic. I just like to mention this, and uh, wow, this this show's been all over the place, but I'm kind of enjoying the conversation, so I'm gonna keep it going. Uh, the I played a game where the person built walls around my wall. Oh wow! It was it was it was the map where you start with your own walls. Okay, arena, arena. Yeah, stone, they, are they made of stone? I think or are so. they palisade walls? I think they're made of stone. I think it's arena. It's pretty common these days, isn't it? Arena it gives you that little bit right. of boom time at the start. I'd say it's the second most popular map after Arabia. Mm-hmm. I like to mention that they're they're like this is the plan. Okay, we're just gonna wall them in and then build archers. Okay. Oh, so he walled you in on arena. That was his strategy. Uh, and the plan was just to use archers and pick off units, I guess. Um, and I was like, oh no, I can't build you know any stone walls. And I'm like, wait, I can literally replace these stone walls with a palisade gate. And so I did that, and I actually got a town center out <laughs> on the other side. I think I happened to be trying to play uh, the Civ that you can get town centers in... Cumans. In Feudal? Yeah, in Cumans. Um, so I just I thought that was pretty funny, because there's a point where I was like all stressed for a second, and then I'm like, oh wait, no, I can... But like before he walled... Like the, what he did is he started by walling off my gates, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah, makes sense, yeah. I mean, it's not a good tactic, but I understand what he's trying to do. Very greedy, uh, likes map control and mining camps, by the sounds of things. Uh, but I was able to figure out pretty quickly. I could just replace my my. Wall. I could probably yeah. You can just delete your own wall and just walk out. Yeah, uh, it does nothing. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that was that was probably one of my quickest wins. I, I thought I'd mention it. Um, but no, it's interesting to hear these. This is that for me that would be make a good like low elo legend um, show. You know, low low elo legend tactics there. Perhaps, and I mean, this is kind of looking too far in the future. But <laughs> it'd be funny if one of the uh, content creators, YouTube creators, uh, decided to uh, challenge people to 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 like try these strategies like this and like see if you can make it work like at a higher rank. You know, just like. Challenge Viper, and it's just like all these dumb strategy ideas for Viper to try to do. That that's what it should be. Just like get all these like top top pros, and just like this is a dumb idea. Trying to make it work against other pros, or I, can they can they can they load into quick play and just play like the average player? So T started doing this, hasn't he? He's been is is it called Ask Chat or something like that? I saw one the other day where he he was challenged to win with only genitals, which are pretty pathetic they're, they're skirmishes that are mounted aren't they um, yeah that's 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 literally it yep yeah so he, he nearly died just because they're just that bad you can't i mean what what do you do if a, ra- a few rams came rams turned up and it's just like where'd you go with that he ended up winning which is quite funny and he, there was also one where you can build any military you could only build a is it Tigu- tigui the uh, town centers that automatically fire fire arrows with no garrisoning oh yeah is that Marlians that get that one, yeah, it is. Yeah, or Marlians, is it- town centers fire arrows when ungarrisoned. Yeah, yeah. So he ended up building something like eighty or ninety town centers. It was just the, the most thing for this yeah. guy. Yeah, slow yeah. creeping death and in front of the whole community. But but I do enjoy it, right? Because at least it challenges to play with seven note, especially for people who've watched this for a long time. Like you enjoy the the breaking the mold, right? Um, yeah. I think. I'm sorry for mentioning StarCraft again, but the, uh, Day 9 in StarCraft did, did a really good series on this where literally every week could be, uh, you know, try this strategy and then he'd get all the replays and do like a show, a three-part, half an hour, each part show, uh, just kind of going over these. And, and I think T90 to some effect 
has very similar kind of things. I just think it's cool, right? Because it takes like everything you know, it's just like, okay, now try to make this one really silly thing work. Mm. Uh, it's most fun in team games as well. Like, so we've done a few which were like elephant only. So you pick <laughs> the four elephant civs and you're not allowed to make any military units except elephants. Yeah. It's kind of nice to get a deep dive into a unit that you may you may just look past. Um, you get to at least see how it performs in certain situations and how you can make it work. Um, 100%. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to refocus ourselves because that's the one thing we didn't do today, but that's okay. Sure. Uh, new map pool. I try, I played Water Nomad. Oh, you did? How did you find it? Game. Uh, I have banned Water Nomad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's known for one unit and one unit only, and that's the demo ship. Oh, so that's why you're supposed to do? You're supposed to go full demo ships? That's yeah, the because because the whole map is water, right? So you can just send a demo to a group of vills and just kill them all instantly. Oh, oh, I I did not know this strategy. I I had I think I scouted pretty much the whole map. Took all the uh, the water. Is it water buffalo? Um, and then brought them to my town center. So I just I had I felt like I was honestly I had a whole like uh, what's the word? I was gonna say a flock, but that's not quite a herd. A herd of buffalo. Yeah. Like it, it was like. 50 of them yeah. and i didn't need food at that point because i had fishing ships going and i actually uh completely won the beginning of the game right uh because i got my my fire ships and my galleons out first so i was just like disrupting him and then he got to castle age and then he won the ship battle after and it was like i don't know if you like if you like there's another thing that i was thinking about the whole time as well is like should i be going for regular units like no only ships? no there's no in a map where it's completely water, ships beat everything. So you know you said you had 50 buffalo under your TC. I say yeah. one demo comes in, they're all dead. And you can't um, gather from them. I remember having a game on this and um I went all I tried to go all defensive. Uh, I thought I was doing really well, like colonial Chris kind of going out. I think I had a foot in the door on four different islands. Um <laughs> and I hadn't done enough scouting and I kind of set up this extravagant defense network of of kind of stonework. So it's like a couple of castles, towers, all sorts. Um, and then sort of fullness of time, I, I realized I've basically protected this little stream that is just a <laughs> stream in between islands I had anyway. I had nowhere near access to enough resources. It's all the problems of Nomad, but with the uh, the added perils of having villages and transport ships. It's just awful. I I just think ultimately, I think there, I think there is a place for it, but I don't think it's in... I think it'd be really cool to have this as an as a one-off map in a tournament where you have seven or nine games, right? In in, in, a, in a series, because it kind of force for it'd be an interesting choice that people could choose, right? It's a disruptor, isn't it? It's it's kind of the Jaeger bomb of the pack, rather than something <laughs> that you would. It's not like a fine wine or a whiskey that you'd kind of develop and get into a. It's not as nuanced, I don't feel. And yeah, but I I think the reason that that it bugged me maybe more than anything is, I I think Age of Empires is mentally draining as is in the best way um it's intense it is intense i looked at that map and it was i think i played a 30 minute game and i'm like i'm done for the night like my brain (laughs) my brain not only am i trying to play age of empires i'm also trying to figure out what to do on this map so um i suppose if you are tired of the the regular game mode then then definitely try it at least once uh but you have been warmed it is uh yeah, you'll have to you'll have to try it out in uh, your own private lobbies because it's say it's gone from the uh, T 
team game pool and one meme map goes out and the new meme map that's come in is Socotra. Have you gentlemen in, had a game of Socotra before? I believe no. that it's some weird sort of donut. Is it? A, yeah, it's, it's a, a tiny, it's, it's a, a tiny circle. Yep. Yeah. It's horrendous. It's again, so another meme map. What do you do? Um, you lame your opponent's resources because you're about one foot away from them. Um, then you go and trush them and build towers all over them. And um, that's how you play Socotra. Right. Yeah, it's kind of anti-Age of Empires. And just like that watermark we were just talking about, which I'm not even going to bloody name, um, it's it's kind of an allergic reaction to people who like to keep their eco sort of separate and safe and build from there. Because it's, it's, it's inside out, isn't it? I, I remember seeing a few games of it. Yeah, it's the picking Inkers map. Yeah. Part of me is like, there should just be a map where uh, it's just the Art of War minigame against each other. Oh, and who can do it better? Here's, oh, 50, yeah. units. Here's 50 units, and uh, you have one house on each side of the map. I mean, there's something called a wonder race, so it's who can build a wonder first. So that's, that's your kind of uh, pacifist... Um, no, 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 but this is the opposite. This is, there is no production. It's just military units. Oh, you mean like a total, so no economy, just a total battle. <laughs> exactly. I suppose in a sense, that's kind of what like, at the start at least, deathmatch is like. Yes. Well, part of me, part of me feels like the intention of putting the two town centers together is to have people fight really quickly, right? But instead it's just build towers. Um, so... My point is, if you're gonna, if you're gonna have, if you're, you might as well just make it a quick battle and uh, see who wins. You know, give people, give people like ten of each type of unit, and, uh, <laughs> and battle it out. Well, that'd I be act- interesting. Like just a micro war, so you can't make any more units. You've got a fixed number of units, and it's just who can micro better those units. That yeah, might be interesting. Has anyone ever played a game where where it's actually capped in terms of the the age that you can get to? Because I know it's you know it limits the diversity and some of the some of the mainstream tactics. So I can see people who've spent time developing those might be a bit anti it. But you know if you were limited to feudal or, or maybe even early like castle, um, it could be quite interesting to see see how you know pe- where people invest. It it kind of changes the meta and you know s- certain things that you might not invest in because it'll be short lived and you know it gets outpaced. Um, could be quite interesting. Might might make from slightly. Well, that's what Tato does on his uh, Tato's a. This kind of pro Spanish player. That's what he does on his uh, alt account, and he managed. He he only stays feudal age, even against people who go up to castle imperial, and he managed wow. to get it into the top one hundred. Amazing! <laughs> well, there you go. There's some inspiration for you. It's, it's on YouTube. You can watch it. Well, that's a meme and a half for the rest of the community, isn't it? It's uh, oh, very yeah. well done on his part. Oh yeah. All right, uh, we're gonna continue on trying trying to trying to keep it focused. I mean, I think. This is another thing I, I just like to kind of side mention. Uh, is I always I always go between the uh, the podcast where you just have one subject and kind of see where it goes, right? And the uh, the really organized you know section segment podcast. Um, and this is at the point where I was like, honestly, today I should have just put like two bullet points and we should have just went because apparently we can go. Uh, <laughs> so that's good. Um, I would like to actually look at this unbalanced matchup. So. Um, this is an interesting thing because for me, like I can't feel it quite yet. Like I don't think I've played this game long enough to really fully understand the unbalanced matchups. Um, I think ultimately my ability to manage my economy early game and just not die to things 
is more important right now for me than any matchup in particular. But I imagine the higher level you get, the more and more frustrating this gets. So, uh, Jack, you're saying that there is a um, you played an Aztec versus Persian and Indians versus Viking game recently. Uh, what were kind of your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I'm really salty about those games because um, I lost <laughs> I lost both of those. Um, yeah, so I think it's actually a credit. So if you guys can't feel that one sieve is overwhelmingly strong at your level, that's a comment about how well the game is balanced currently. Um, now, there are certain matchups that no, I'll really... I, go ahead. I'd actually disagree because I don't think that has to do with how well or is... Because the, the only way we'd feel it is if our opponents knew what the in, unbalanced part of that, those sieves are, Right. So right now, because I'm I'm that guy now who's getting uh, five relics and winning games, maybe that's why I don't feel it. Because Lithuanians are unbalanced. I'm doing the unbalanced. Well, the the quote unquote what people would find unbalanced, but that's only because the opponent doesn't know the threat. Yeah, for sense? me, this comes down to the the sort of diversity of the the text. Because I mean, in, in the pro scene, it's sort of assumed that everybody knows how to maximize each sieve. Um, whereas, for instance, say the Cumans' strength is to have that second TC. So, in theory, you can be pumping out villages um, from a much earlier point. At a lower level, where you're having all sorts of TC idle time anyway, what I found when I was at first messing around with those, I was only getting my second TC down at the point where they were hitting the castle edge anyway. So, <laughs> it, you know, it's, you know it, it's something like that isn't as strong as, as something that is sort of endemic and inbuilt into a unit so maybe if you've got tanky knights with with the franks uh, or are they are they cheap or tanky either way that is a kind of a discrete thing that would transfer over to a low elo player i think this is where... a really interesting point and that that's that imbalance in the game exists at all levels and it's different so something yeah. that's imbalanced at 1k is not so a civ that's really strong at 1k is really weak at the top level so when we talk about imbalance uh it, it's all dependent on your skill level and the skill level of the people around you um so i would say at lower levels cavalry is stronger than archers the higher you go up archers become better just because people are better at microing them and building the critical mass um so it's, yes i think it's I, poignant. I really agree with that i really like that analogy right because these these are like these archer players after a certain point i just this, this is all the micro I have to do as, as a cavalry player. I right-click behind them, wait one second, and then attack. <laughs> yeah, you cut them off, and you get the surround, and that's how you kill archers. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, keep going. Sorry. Uh, no, no, so it's a very good point. I mean, let me touch upon the, the matchups, I suppose, that I played. So I played a matchup, which was Persians versus Aztecs. This is a horrible, horrible matchup, and there's something that I didn't realize, so this is a learning point for me, and that is that Persians is the only Civ in the game that does not get two-handed swordsmen. <laughs> so I was having a major Eagle Warrior problem up against it. So I was I started out, I think I drushed, I opened crossbow. Uh, I got the long swords out to start trying to deal with the Eagle Warriors. I went up to Imp, and I was planning to upgrade them into at least two-handed swordsmen. Unfortunately, my technology tree knowledge failed me, and I didn't realize they don't even get two-handed swordsmen. So I was kind of left dead um, against this Aztec player. And then really, there's no answer. Persians, the only answer, I asked kind of a, a friend what, what I would do. He said, the only way that Persians can win that matchup is very difficult. You have to completely stonewall to keep the Eagle Warriors out. And you have to get to Paladin. If you can get to Paladin and Heavy Scorp, 
then you have a chance. But unless you can get to that combination, you are just dead to what Aztec have to offer. So that's a really, uh, really tricky matchup there. Chris, did you want to say something there? Sorry, yeah, just saying that's that's no mean feat getting to Paladin and Heavy Scorpion and then churning out. Um, I mean, both of those are quite gold intensive anyway with expensive upgrades. It's, uh, it's one thing getting there, it's another thing churning them out. Yeah, yeah. As I say, unfortunately, because of the imbalance in this matchup, uh, it's your only chance. And part of that's the Persians don't get ARB. Um, so you, you kind of, you're fixed down to going down a cavalry route. You can't get to champion. So your only option, your only good kind of unit is Paladin. You do get good Halbs, but those are no good against a Mezzo Sieve like Aztecs because they don't even get cavalry. So you are so limited in what, what you what you can do. So that's a very, very, um, very tricky matchup. The other one that I mentioned was Indians versus Vikings. That was the matchup I played. Again, I was playing that ranked. I lost that one. Very tricky matchup. The reason being um, that Indians, they don't get knights. And I believe they're the only Civ in the game that don't get knights. So the only thing you... I think the, the ideal composition here, and I made the mistake of going into my own crossbows. Again, they don't become arbs. I made the mistake of going into crossbows initially. I think the composition you want is skirmisher, camel. And that's the only way that you can deal... But the reality is that I think Vikings are just going to go crossbow. They're going to, with their mega eco, they're going to get to Arb very, very quickly. And it's just too hard to deal with. I agree. And I also think that Viking, uh, just touching back on where the uh, the imbalances lie, I think Vikings become more overpowered the lower down the ladder you go because you've got these inherent eco bonuses that make up for um, probably under eco production that you get with the lower players. Where they're, yeah. they're the idle time as well. Yeah, they're very good on one TC. Yeah, I think Vikings are a, a solid choice if you want to kind of get a very quick eco, simple to play advantage. Uh, it does require you to play archers. I have played Viking cavalry before. It's a bit of a surprise tactic. The problem with them is um, that they don't get bloodlines. They don't get husbandry. And they are missing the final plate barding armor. So their cavalry is very limited. Good as a surprise option. You can get a lot of them out with the eco. Mm, interesting. Yeah, that, that's definitely. Uh... Are there any sieves that you guys dread facing? Um, I do now. I, I probably have nightmares uh, about the. Is it the Incas that have the slingers? Is that right? I hate Incas. Yeah. Remove <laughs> them from the game. <laughs> they are yeah. They've got weird, unique units. There's, there's all sorts going on, and. Um, Particularly, I, I mean, I, I never got that expansion pack when it came out. I had a bit of a, a personal dark age where I was away doing other things. Um, so I, I was in my, one of my first ranked ma- matches, of which I've only ever had three. And I've, I've resigned early from all of them, actually. Um, but yeah, I, I developed quite a decent size army uh, and um, a, a somewhat forward cast. Were they, they, were they all in? And I, uh, yes, unfortunately they were. And I thought, who are these strange monks that are all grouped together? This is the weirdest monk push I've ever seen. And then they started lo- launching stones at me with, with surprisingly decent range. And uh, I, I sort of faced them off and didn't realise um, that they had this huge superiority over infantry. So I went from being in a position where I was about to win my first game, or so I thought, to um, <laughs> being absolutely decimated. And then I did my research after the game. So, yeah, so Slingers yeah. are basically, you know, for those that don't know, they are the Mezosiv version of the Hand Cannoneer. Um, so just a very, very strong anti-infantry unit. 
And also, I like to say an AOE one. By the way, it's just like yeah. a common like you see those that unit or that version of that unit AOE one all the time. Uh, it, it gets ridiculous. Um, but I I guess are Incas the only one that have it, Jack? By the yes. way, yes. So, so Incas, it's kind of a unique unit. They also have the Kamayuk, which is think of the Kamayuk, their elite unit that comes out the castle, um, as being like a super pikeman. Mm-hmm. It's, range. it's a very good unit it's a very good unit actually but it's like a super pikeman yeah well, well, is it one range or two? I think it's one isn't it yeah I think it, it does get kind of bonus range so it's it's just generally a very effective unit um, the, I think for me the reason I hate Incas is nothing to do with Slingers has nothing to do with Kamayukes it's their villagers are unkillable and they love trushing so I know if I'm queued against an Inca player I am most likely going to get trushed and it's going to be a messy, messy Ville War. Towers everywhere. Yep. Oh, yeah. I had that recently. I was playing Britons and it was against an Inca player. As expected, I got trushed. Um, I followed some advice that I got from the uh, GB Discord. I went fast-fletching archers. It was a very, very messy game. I did eventually manage to get the win when I finally got to Trebuchet so I could knock down all these towers and castles everywhere. <laughs> yeah. All uh- right. I'd like to. I'd like to now, maybe for the last little segment here, is Chris has been developing his infantry theory. So uh, I don't think you actually had a chance during the show to really talk about. I don't know if you're thinking of balance changes or what you think about them, kind of in the game currently. So, uh, Chris, did you have any kind of thoughts on that? Yeah. Okay. Well, you're going to have to bear with me for this one because it's a bit of a bit left of field and it's is not really in the slot of matter at the moment. But is watching the World Cup. Um, made me realise how important the cavalry units and the archer units were. And I guess the, the, the line of thinking went that meta seems to evolve from places where people aren't expecting it. Um, and it was actually the semi-finals. Um, I think MBL was doing most of the heavy lifting for Norway. And I forget who it was. It might have been against, was it Vietnam they were playing? Um, can't remember who they knocked out. But um, yeah, so MBL actually... Um, kind of mid, mid to late game, I guess, sort of early imperial type time. He switched into um, berserks, um, and our conventional wisdom would be that you know you don't you don't really go for infantry because they are too slow. They get picked off. Um, they they're just not really particularly good at anything, and you don't cover the ground quick enough. Um, but in this stage, you know, as as I touched on earlier about um, where where maybe the map coverage and attention isn't quite what it could be as it, as it is early on when you're protecting your, your masses um they were absolutely devastating and because there is this kind of um there's four or five units that are sort of speedy infantry if you like so your showtel warriors um your berserks your word raiders uh what else are we talking uh Karambit warriors as well i really think situationally you could do a bit of damage with those because they tend to have the attack to pull things down much better than maybe archers would um and with the work that ambl was doing i was noticing that although cav is conventionally stronger and would usually pick them pick them apart um when you've got numbers on your side and, and high levels of attack as a lot of them do um you know cavalry units ultimately they rely on melee and if they're not going to win the engagement they can't control it as you would expect them to do with the mobility so they ended up just getting out of there and i, I was just thinking maybe if if a matter of of the kind of two on two is to shift at all i think maybe there is a role for for that kind of thing maybe um, a bit of a surprise attack um and then you do have the problem as you mentioned jack earlier about um over investment in multiple areas being costly preventing you getting 
as good or as many units on the board. But um, yeah, I, I just feel that with particularly the melee um, techs, which are in common with the, with um, with cav, if you were a sieve like maybe the slavs that does have a bit of a cav arm to it, um, you could represent with that early on. Um, know that you're basically upgrading your attack, uh, but sort of secretly upgrading your uh, melee, your infantry line as well, which will upgrade for free with each. Am I right in thinking, uh, Jack? Is is it the Slavs that get the free militia line upgrade? Uh, Bulgarians. Bulgarians. Sorry. Okay. Well, yeah. That's, yeah, but I mean, that's... it makes total sense, and be, the enemy won't see it coming, and you. Yeah. Because not they share, yeah, you get your forging, you get your iron casting, you get your yeah. blast furnace, there's your attack upgrade, then you only have to tech the infantry armor techs, and then yeah. here comes the, here comes the uh, in the Boric or Bulgarian's case, you don't get champions, here comes the two-handed swordsman flood. Exactly, yeah, and I mean, yes, you wouldn't, in, in these early stages of, of kind of late feudal, early castle, where there's map control to be had, you are going to get picked apart if you're running about in open field. And you're not really going to be able to turn tail and get back to your base if if you if you need to, um, but yeah, you know they're they're not incredibly expensive as individual units if you're not if you're not forking out for the tech. So, you know, it's not too much of a bind to have twenty of those guys on if you can sneak them the long way around to an enemy's base if they're still palisaded up. Just as long as you've got um, what's the tech? Uh, the bur- you know, the, it makes. It's kind of the, the flaming torch to awesome. uh, to do more, uh, yeah, to more building damage. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think... I think you could be through palisades and into ecos quite quickly, and it's not as easy to focus fire. Archers are great at taking out individual units of high value. So if you had a, a line of paladins running at you, you could you could really do quite a good job. But if you've got a, a marauding sort of horde of of low cost infantry that are they're kind of everywhere and gaining ground, then it's less easy to do. I think you could make a real mess of someone's eco. You could start taking out villages and taking down town centers quite quickly. But um... I, I just like to mention, I think this is a tough thing about kind of how the game is designed, rightly or wrongly. But mobility is so key, right? Like, I think maybe one of the key differences is that if if you're going to be a melee unit, you have to get within range. And it doesn't seem like yeah. there's enough infantry units that just... I mean, like, it, unless we're talking, like, you know, quote-unquote... Or oh, evil warriors are very quick. Exactly, uh, but but like the the general swordsmen, right? Like um, sorry, uh, men at arms. It's like their their lack of speed. Like maybe maybe they just need like I don't know more armor or something, or there have to be some kind of bonus to them. But then at that point, you don't want to make them so strong that people can just only mass these. Like I almost feel like it's this weird thing that I don't think people anticipated that you kind of just have to choose. Uh, you have to choose the ability to move around the map faster. Um, and maybe in the later stages of the game, you actually have an opportunity to use these infantry units. But uh, but really, in in that kind of mid-range, it's like you either have to be completely, def- have completely found a way to defend yourself, or you have to be moving around kind of, yeah, I, I guess that's my point. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And that's why it's not really in meta at the moment. But I guess I, it would be incredibly situational just as this... Um, I guess the 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 punch that they didn't see coming, um, and you what have... you're saying, Chris, is make infantry great again. <laughs> yeah, 
Actually, yeah, yeah. Maya. That's what what we all want to see. We want to see roaming hordes of men-at-arms and long swordsmen around the map. Yeah, give me a buff, man. Come on, throw me a bone. Come on, Microsoft. Just, I don't know, maybe if there was some sort of tech which you could go into which made them quicker over distances when they're not engaging or something like that. They, they seem to be oh, put, put, yeah, put the sh- special ability, put the shield away and run. <laughs> <laughs> sacrifice, sacrifice two armor yeah. and you so, get double the moves. Fundamentally, with the physics of the game, they are going to struggle with the, the nitpicking that's going on and it's never quite going to work. But, you know, if you think about it, if you've got all your upgrades for free and even if you weren't even bothered about the armor, um, if you were Bulgarians and you had a forward barracks that was full, and you just un- unloaded 20, 25 of the guys at a wall, at an eco, I think they could do damage quick enough to really cause a problem. But, yeah, situational. So, there you go. I'll give it a go. I'll, I'll give it a go. I'll go for a full um, militia line only game, and I'll report back for the next Yeah, time. or, or yes. make ridiculous overtures about cavalry. Stick a load of um, forward stables in your at the front side of your, um, your walls or whatever, Throw a bit out there, and then uh, then then mop it up later with my my tactic and pay me royalties later. <laughs> Do you prefer no, those by check or in cash? <laughs> I don't think there will be a check inbound. Um, I'm, I'm sure that it'll be problematic, but I I was just impressed by it. and Showtel Warriors as well, and combining that with uh, Arson, um, that that was quite impressively done as well by MBL in the same um, in, in the same set, I believe. I think this is where the tough thing is where. It's like Age of Empires is a game where there are units and you're like, <laughs> if you're going to have the unit, then it should be effective in more stages of the game. But there's some units that is just like, there's a this very specific scenario upon which you should use these units, but otherwise you should never use them, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely plays yeah. into disorder rather than order, um, I think. Um, particularly things like Karambit Warriors, which are just a mess. But I guess if you had a... A lovely bunch of arbs, then you would have a bit of a nightmare um, mm. picking that all off. If there were sort of fifty units of of low value, all sort of charging in and around your wood lines, I mean, where where do you start? That's you're looking at the 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 human mechanic mechanics of the game there. So, so what you're saying is all the maps should just be one line from each base, really, really squished in, and then I'm clearly um, a black forest player in the making, aren't I? But. Um, <laughs> It's, uh, I, I just feel there is significant uh, weight behind the punch. If you can be in a position where mobility isn't an issue, i.e. if you can sort of sneak up a flank, um, then it, it could uh, it could pay dividends. But yeah, generally speaking, you're not going to go all in on it and uh, you are probably going to get found out by age-old 101 of mobility and range. Well, and isn't that the weird thing, Chris? Like, I kind of want to ask you because I, I see this a lot where they do that full switch to to batting rams and uh i don't know if it's champion or uh what am i thinking of here how where uh we're at the very end your men at arms like the, the 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 furthest point there's a point where you can just mask them and and uh kind of overwhelm an opponent with battering rams um yeah i mean i guess champions end up being involved in those kind of pushes quite a lot um but help is is a very go-to thing isn't it just to because obviously the a lot of the mounted units are the expensive and most tanky units in the game, so halbs are going to counter that quite nicely on the cheap at the end of the game. Yeah. Um, okay, I don't know where I was going to go with that, but. Uh... <laughs> but yeah, no, definitely. If you can combine it with a with a, a ram push, it gives you that bit of resilience against range. Then. Uh... And you can garrison them as well, so they move quicker. Hey, eh? do more damage as well for each yeah. infantry yeah. garrison. Eh? Yeah. 
absolutely so yeah yeah just food for thought so uh, next yeah, time exactly. next time you see it creeping in then uh you know you know what one thing i do like about uh this is that i think it's really tough to um I think a game that's been along for so long, there's such a set kind of way of thinking about exactly the right thing to do in everything, right? Um, and I think it's brave people like like Chris, maybe, uh, who who decide to try something until they realize either uh, a thousand games later that there's no way this can work or, oh, they found a way to make it work that they can even change the meta. But it's kind of funny how that works where it's like, everyone's like, this is the dumbest thing until one person finds like a perfect way to use it. Um, yeah. Maybe that's how it'll happen. I'll, I'll sort of walk through the mountains <laughs> parting the sea with my recorded 435 ELO game where I've yeah. uh, done the, that, that was, yeah, thing. at the pro level. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, I'd like to thank both uh, Chris and Jack for being on the show. Uh, I think it's, it's, uh, we were able to have all three of us, which I'm pretty ha- which, which I'm really happy with. Um, and yeah it's uh i think we're 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 gonna keep going kind of once a month that's still the plan um i think i think there is uh i don't know if i need more organization or less uh i'll I'll need to decide that for next time uh i guess the one last thing i'd like to do is thank everyone who has been listening i've been pleasantly surprised by uh yeah how many people are listening one of our episodes is really is really starting to go up there, so that's kind of cool. Um, so I guess I guess if anything, the only the only thing I ask of you is just uh, tell other people who play OE about us, and and that's really it. Um, but from myself and from Chris and Drac, uh, I thank you for being on, and we'll see you sometime next month. <laughs> I guess uh, is the word. Uh, so thank you for listening, and have a good one.